are in a series message just started last week called rise to the challenge and i want to kind of introduce this the way that i did last week if i could just go right to the next slide life is a never-ending series of challenges from birth until death until we really breathe our last breath and even that will be a challenge that transition so we we can't get away from challenges challenges are a part of life secondly sometimes we choose the challenges and sometimes the challenges choose us meaning we have no choice in the matter we're going to look at last week we actually looked at a choice that chooses us the world the system that we live within it tries to mold us it tries to shape us it tries to change our minds it tries to propagandize us today we're going to look at another challenge we can't get away from it chooses us it's the challenge that comes from within but we'll unpack that in a bit Unless we rise to the God-given challenges, we unnecessarily forfeit the God-given opportunities they bring. And this is the positive. Every challenge, whether we choose it, sometimes we choose, you know, I'm going to get in shape or I'm going to learn a new language or I'm going to learn new skills. So we choose some of the challenges, but often they just choose us. But if we respond to them the way that God designed us to respond to them, they are blessings in disguise they they build us they develop us they enable us to do things that we couldn't previously do they take us to places we haven't been they cause us to interact with people we never interacted with so these are really blessings these challenges so today we're going to look at a challenge uh, last week like i say the world comes from without today we're going to look at the challenge that comes from within and we're going to look at this rise to the challenge of the flesh now flesh you know we, we think of skin and it is used that way sometimes in scripture uh, but we're not going to look at it that way we're going to look at it another way that scripture looks at it and it's kind of the this core person that we develop into before we are reunited with Christ our creator before we make the decision to put our trust in Christ and become his follower before we let him lead us and guide us and mold us and shape us based on his truth because we authentically trust him more than we trust ourselves who are we what are we like how do we think how do we feel how do we make decisions before we have Christ leading us loving us and so forth that's what we're going to look at today now I'm going to start by assuming some things but at this stage in life i think these are pretty safe assumptions i'm betting i'm betting and i'm not a betting man i'm betting that i could get money out of everybody if i were to ask is there anybody in here that you've never in your life you've never had a time where you look back and you say man can't believe can't believe i did that can't believe i said that where did that come from how about this i wish i wish i could just change this why am i so stuck i, I know it makes no sense i know it's not good for me i don't really want it but but i just can't seem to shake it i can't seem to do anything about it i i, I see where i want to be i know where i want to go i know who i want to be but but i just seem to face this this set of habits that locks me in imprisons me sometimes how about this sometimes a thought flies through our head and we're like oh my goodness am i crazy where, where did that come from why would i ever think such a thing all these 
all these and much more are a manifestation of this thing called flesh the greek or the new testament was written in greek and the word for flesh it's a greek word sarx and i'm going to really break this down in a lot of complex but hopefully helpful pieces you have a handout that was given to you in your program so some of the things when i go through them i'll go through them fast but you can restudy them at home when we get to that part but let's enter right into this we're going to start in a book in the new testament called galatians the apostle paul planted a church in galatia then he writes them letters after he had left to instruct them to guide them help them to grow as followers of christ and we'll pick up in galatians 5 verse 16 so paul says so i say walk by the spirit now that that walk by that that is a greek word peripateo and it means order your behavior by uh, let the influence of the spirit be what's leading you guiding you motivating you molding you shaping you uh, causing your conduct so i say walk by the spirit meaning the spirit of god and you will not gratify the what desires of the so we first of all see whatever flesh is sarks this this old version of ourself pre-christ it has a set of desires let's go on for the flesh desires here we have it again what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh so now we find that when the spirit of god is operative in us when we put our trust in christ and become his followers the spirit of god then comes and dwells us because we are welcoming welcoming his leadership and guidance so he stirs a set of desires in us they are righteous desires they are godly they are good they are kind they are productive desires but then we still have this old set of desires and they clash they are in what is the word conflict with each other so that you are not uh, you are not to do whatever you want in other words we, we can't just do whatever we feel like doing because we have these two sets of desires one set of desires is good one set of desires is not good now if you are a follower of christ if you have made that decision to put your trust in christ and follow him and that is what it means to be a christian i don't know if it's ever been made clear to you but that is what it means to be a christian the scripture says that god loves us he created us for himself we are made by christ and for christ and god declares to us the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of everlasting life in his kingdom to anyone that will put their trust in christ and become his follower so once you i we make the decision to put our trust in christ and become his follower we know we have forgiveness of sins we know we have eternal life because god promises that in his word he gives it to us not because we deserve it but because he is gracious and loving and we then are his children for time and eternity it's really important that we know that we know that we know who we're following and everybody's following somebody we're either following ourselves in most cases or we authentically have put our trust in christ and we are following him and what do you mean by following randy i mean that i'm living the way that christ designed me to live i'm living the way that god tells me to live in his word when jesus makes clear in his word when god makes clear in his word stop doing this this is not productive this is not good for you this is not good for anybody i stop it because i trust him more than i trust myself if god says listen i want you to learn this characteristic i want you to learn this behavioral style i say okay i'm going to learn it if god says do it i'm going to do it why because i trust him authentically more than i trust myself that is what it means to be a christian 
to just say that I believe some facts about Jesus doesn't mean anything. The devils believe and tremble, it says in the book of James, but it's when I trust Jesus. It's when I say, in a world where everybody's following somebody, keep your eye on me because you're going to see I'm going to be following Jesus. I'm going to be following him fully. I'm following him freely, and I'm going to follow him forever. He has won my trust. That is what it means to be a Christian. Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Galatia, but he recognizes they are not perfect. He recognizes that they have conflicting desires. If you are a follower of Christ in here, the likelihood is you know exactly what he's talking about. You know about these two sets of desires that go on inside of us periodically, if not sometimes constantly. Now it goes on. He says, now the acts of the flesh. So he wants us to understand whatever this flesh is, whatever this, this um, persona that we have before we trust in Christ, what does it look like? How do we recognize it? How do we know when those desires are being manifest? And so he's going to give us a list. It's not comprehensive, but it's pretty good. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Number one, sexual immorality. Now, now, now in today's world, you've got to explain what sexual immorality is. Sexual immorality is sex outside of the bond of marriage that is considered by god the creator of sex sexual immorality so sexual immorality is one of the manifestations of the flesh impurity you know just dirty mindedness and all debauchery that that's just drunken dog leg drunkenness uh, idolatry that's worshiping persons places and things putting more emphasis on persons places and things than on our creator witchcraft well you kind of know what that is you watch movies hatred we all kind of know about hatred now note it notice how the variety in this list it goes from sexual immorality to witchcraft to hatred discord this is you know you're kind of being divisive you're getting people you know angry at each other jealousy they throw in jealousy you see something somebody else wants you want wish that you were them you envy them jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness and then, and then i didn't put this one this is in the bible orgies now, now now contrast this envy and orgies but it's all from the flesh they all come from the same source is what paul is trying to get at orgies and the like i warn you as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god but then he gives a contrast but the fruit of the spirit so when the holy spirit god's spirit is leading us guiding us we're we're doing things his way molding us shaping us here's what it produces but the fruit of the spirit is love i i am become a more loving person joy uh, i start having more joy joy is different than happiness happiness is based on what's happening joy is based on who i am and who i am becoming peace we do an awful lot of things to try to achieve peace but when the spirit of god is having his way it's like when we're living the way that god designed us to live the result is just naturally we have peace we have a good conscience toward god and a good conscience toward people we have goodwill toward everybody forbearance that that's that kind of that patience thing kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and what self-control self-control so here's the two contrasts there there's these two sets of desires living within those that are followers of christ one set of desires is something that the spirit of god calls the flesh this old individual that we became 
before trusting in Christ and becoming his follower. But then once you trust Christ, you have these two sets of desires, and this conflict goes on inside you. Now I'm going to ask what I didn't want to ask, but I will. How many of you, you know by experience this conflict inside you at times? Can I see your hands? Okay, nearly every hand in the room. So breathe easy because that means you're a normal Christian. You see, once I put my trust in Christ and make the decision to be his follower, it doesn't mean that I instantaneously become perfect. I've got baggage, man. I've got history. I've got bad habits. I, I come to Christ way imperfect. I come to Christ not because I'm good. I come to Christ because I see how deficient I really am compared to the way that Christ created me to be. And then I go through this developmental process. Christ loves me. He forgives me. He assures me I'm safe and secure for time and eternity. But then he starts to work inside me and teach me the way I was designed to really live. Now, when I start following Christ, I find conflict because the old fleshly habits, ways, means of doing things, they start clashing with the way God wants me to. So we get into this thing where it's like, man, I want to do. Some of you today, you've been stuck for years in certain areas. You, you want so much to do God's will in certain areas of your life. But you just keep faltering. It's like two steps forward and three steps back. Two steps forward, three steps back. And, and, and sometimes the things that are tripping you up, tripping us up, they are really costly. They're, they're costing us in real terms. They're costing us vocationally. They're costing us mentally, emotionally. They're costing us relationally. They're, these things come with real cost, and yet we're stuck. We just keep banging our heads, and we can't seem to get past. And so we feel like this sometimes what's wrong with us what's wrong with me what, why why am i still here why am i still participating in these things that i now know are self-defeating that are robbing me of peace that, that are not good for me not good for anybody around me why why am i still here why am i stuck more importantly how do i ever how do i ever get past this can i ever get past this some of some of you are sitting here thinking right i've been a christian now for 25 years and i am still in battle with a b c d whatever it may be some attitude some action some habit how many of you know right now if i were to ask you what arm you put into your jacket first or your shirt first when you put it on how many would know what arm can i see your hands <laughs> how many it's, it's the right arm <laughs> if you want to do an experiment just try putting on that jacket with the opposite arm it's hard it's awkward you want to do something even harder i don't know which leg you put first in your pants but try reversing that <laughs> you'll end up falling on the floor <laughs> we get these habits they become kind of the fiber of our being it's like automatic response and yet they can change Every one of us in here has changed certain aspects of our lives. So we know it's possible. We just know that sometimes it's difficult. Let me rephrase that. Oftentimes it's difficult. So what's wrong with us? Let's look at the book of James, first of all, to get, get some clarity. James 1.14, James says, James the half-brother of Jesus, he says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own what does it say evil desire we have desires that are not good we have desires that are evil 
and it says that we're all tempted when when these things get get a hold of us they drag us they're they're pulling us along they drag we're dragged along by our own evil desires and we're enticed then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown it gives birth to death the death of relationships the death of careers physical death mental death emotional death the death of peace i mean we could just go on sin is a destructive force god is not some uh killjoy that wants to deprive us of joy in fact just the opposite he wants us to have fullness of joy but because we are made in his image we can't have fullness of joy unless we are living the way god himself lives and loving the way god himself loves so here we see it, the problem it's with our desires now i'm going to read a passage of scripture to you that some of you are going to feel like that's me that could have put my name in there that that's so descriptive of me romans chapter 7 i do not understand what i do for what i want to do i do not do but what i what does it say hate i do for i do not do the good i want to do but the evil i do not want to do this i keep on doing so I find this law at work although I want to do good evil is right there with me what a wretched man person I am who will rescue me now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this but most of us that have put our trust in Christ and are his followers we've experienced this in the past at least or are experiencing it in some area of life right now and it can drive you crazy as a follower of Christ. But it can also drive you crazy if you're not a follower of Christ. Because even as a non-follower of Christ, we get into that portion of life where we see that certain things are just destructive, not productive. We don't want them in our life. We want to change them, but we don't know how. And we end up doing again and again the very thing that we know is self-defeating, destructive to us, destructive to others. And we are stuck and we sit sometimes on the edge of the bed and they say what am i doing man the clock is ticking my life is going by me and look at me i'm a mess my life's a mess i don't want this but i don't know what to do i'm i'm locked i'm stuck and he ends this with a desperate crisis who will rescue me some of us I have felt like at times, like I feel like I need somebody to rescue me. I don't know my way out of this. I don't know if I can ever change in this area. I want to, but I'm, I'm stuck. I'm just stuck. And he goes on to answer this way. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what does that mean? How, how does... How does Jesus delivered me from this cycle of habit this inability to do what I what I want to do the good that I want to do but instead being stuck to do the evil well we started out by showing the contrast between the spirit of God operating successfully in us and that produces the fruits of the spirit love joy peace and so forth and, and then the the flesh and we said they start with this this conflict of desire going on so if you read the book of Galatians sometimes on your own, and I don't want to get too, in, too much into detail, detail on this, but if you read the book of Galatians on your own sometime, you will find the word law 32 times out of 25, uh, pas or 25 passages of Scripture. Um, excuse me, f f it's more than that. It's 32 times that law is used, but it's about every fifth verse in the book of Galatians it's used. 
so so what are we talking about law well when you look at law it's talking about kind of the ten commandments that you know god gave to moses but it's talking about more than that they had actually 613 commandments but but it's god god's commands if we just look at god's commands god's rules we look at them and they may motivate us but but they don't inspire us very much and so we get into that cycle where we want to do what's right but we can't do what's right so when he says thanks be to god who delivers me through christ jesus our lord he's saying that when i saw you see the old testament the law of god it gives a partial imperfect revelation of who god is of his character of his plans of his purposes of his mercy of his love of his grace of his sacrificial love for us we, you can't see that with with his laws we just see these rules and these rules may motivate us some but they don't motivate us sufficiently but now we have the revelation of the spirit of god the spirit of god reveals the truth about god the fullness about god and that's jesus it says of jesus that all the fullness of god dwelt in jesus when we see jesus going to the cross giving himself lovingly sacrificially for us for our sins to rescue us from our sins to regain our trust we see the heart of god and when you see the heart of the lawgiver it changes the level of motivation we, we go from trying to keep some rules because we have fear that if we don't keep the rules we may lose something or be punished to we are inspired how many of you know how many of you know that that if you find the best babysitter the best babysitter available you you comb the whole united states you find the best best babysitter that that child of yours is still better safer with you how many of you would agree with that statement that you you the parent are better than the best babysitter why why the, be the best babysitter may may be uh, far more trained and like that well you know why it's because you love that kid if necessary you would lay down your life for that kid you serve your child inspirationally you are inspired by love and that is powerful that is strong that is a powerful motive that that love motivation that inspirational motivation is so powerful it can enable you and i to do things we once could not do it will enable you and i to try things we're terrified to try it will enable you and i to get on a path that we've never been on before to to do things with new people new places that we maybe have been paralyzed to do before that's what it's talking about it's saying that when we saw what God was really like and why he tells us certain things, do this, don't do that, it's all based on his love. It's all based on his, his longing for us to have the best life possible in this world as well as the world to come. Well, we go from just thinking about, man, I, I want to appease God. I want to I get on his good side. I want to get him off my back, and I want to get him on my good side. To It's like, whoa, this is who you are? You have won my heart you love me more than I love myself. You know what's best and want what's best. I, I trust you. I can't help myself but trust in you. And I am motivated to be the man, to be the woman, to be the boy, to be the girl that, that you created me to be because I see something in you so wonderful, so beautiful that, that all I want to do, man, I just want to be more like you. Now this is spontaneous. It's coming from my desires. They're elevated because of what I see about God in Christ. Now, 
I'm going to get into some detail here. You're going to have to be patient with me, and, and you've got a handout that will help you with this. But, but I want to break this down a little bit. Before I go to my diagram, though, let, let, me, let me give them something else. I want to break it down how the flesh, what it is, how it develops in us. But I'm going to ask you a couple questions first. When, when Adam and Eve were created, could they talk? I mean, they've only been created for, for one minute. Could they talk? What do you think? Yes. They were created. They were only one second old, two seconds old, one minute old. But, but all of their cognitive abilities were fully developed. It doesn't mean that they knew everything there is to know. We're always going to be learning. You know, God, God has omniscience. We are finite. We're always going to be learning. But, but right now, they say, they say that, that, that our full cognitive ability doesn't come together until we're about 25. Now, with some of us, it's 65. <laughs> but it's about 25 your, your full cognitive ability Adam and Eve the second they came alive they have full cognitive ability now when a baby is born when a baby is born today does that baby have full cognitive ability no okay so so just suppose though suppose that a well, 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 let, let, me, let me go a little further so when a baby is born today a baby only knows feelings, essentially. Physical feelings and emotional feelings. For example, if the baby, you know, uh, is hungry, the baby does what? If the baby has a soiled diaper, the baby does what? If the baby thinks mom, dad are sneaking out of the room when they're trying to go to sleep, the baby does what? Okay, so it has physical feelings and emotional feelings. Emotions are, are not so developed, but they're developed somewhat. And, and that's what starts getting stronger and stronger and stronger in the child. The child's feelings, emotional feelings and physical feelings are being gratified. And they develop. They get strong. The child's cognitive abilities, they're not developed yet. The child can't reason. That child doesn't have a conscience or anything like that. That child doesn't know right from wrong. All the child knows is, man, when I want something, if I cry, I get it. I'm living for my desires. So the child's desires are growing disproportionately while their cognitive function is next to non-existent. So they start to develop to be a creature that lives to get their desires fulfilled. Our society increasingly is trying to get us to be those who only live by our desires, to get our desires fulfilled. But we start out with this this disproportionate development whereas the original couple Adam and Eve they had full cognitive ability so if they were to have had an inappropriate desire their God enlightened reasoning and conscience could say no that's not God's will now they didn't do that when temptation came but they could have done that alright I'm setting all that up to show you some things here we go here's this chart so what do we mean by flesh when we read that term? Bear with me. I know it's a little technical. The person we are before we trust Christ, the flesh governs us. We are time-bound, meaning I'm here now, but I know my time will end. I'm bound by time. I don't know about eternity. I haven't been there. I haven't seen it. I'm sense-governed. If I can't see it, taste it, feel it, smell it, you know, uh, hear it, I don't know for sure it exists. So I'm time-bound, I'm sense-governed, and I'm driven by the fear of death. 
I know I'm here now, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I have no control over how long I'm going to be here. So these are governing faculties for every one of us that are born into the world. Now, flesh. Our reason is darkened, governed by selfish pragmatism, meaning that, that I'm just going to try to get what I want, how I want, the way I want. I'm detached from God. My conscience, my conscience is detached from God and truth, and therefore it's untrustworthy. My conscience can be calibrated to lie about reality. I, I can just blend in. Everybody's doing it, man, so it must be okay. My conscience can be programmed to that. This is how I am. Worship. We have a, a, a compulsion to worship, to orient our lives, organize our lives around something central and sufficient, something that's going to give us a sense of meaning and purpose and value and so forth. So we end up misdirecting our worship away from God and we start worshiping persons places and things we look to money we look to people we look to popularity we look at experiences to, to give meaning to our life to orient our life around so this reason and conscience and worship faculty they're now leading us astray okay the truth of God is not in us we don't come into this world face to face with God we don't come into this world with the Bible imprinted on our mind we come into the world in darkness without God's truth will our will is set on self-preservation and self-gratification because we're time-bound sense governed and driven by the fear of death I want to stay alive as long as I can and I want to get all the pleasure that I can while I'm here that's what we mean by self-gratification so my will that started learning this as a baby I have desires I cry I get my desires met I start becoming a desire driven being it starts when we're children. Our thoughts and our feelings. Our feelings and thoughts are detached from God's truth and often dominated, or excuse me, and often dominate the darkened spiritual nature. So I become more and more a being that lives to fulfill my feelings. Physical feelings, my physical desires, my emotional desires. This is the kind of being that comes. So this is when the scripture talks about flesh. This is what it's talking about. I, I'm darkened. I don't have God and His truth in my mind. My conscience is all uh, miscalibrated. My reasoning is darkened because I'm just pursuing my own ends, my own means, my own desires. Uh, worship. I tend not to worship God because I don't really see Him, feel Him, sense Him, smell Him, you know, hear Him. And so I tend to worship persons, places, and things. And so I develop then habits... Uh, coping mechanisms lifestyle habits based on this darkened condition and that's what the scripture means by flesh now let me show you the contrast the way we were meant to work now, now, now this is going to be important when you get to the other side and we see well, well how do we change how, how do we get past this here's the original design God his spirit was meant to indwell us the scripture now teaches that when we put our trust in Christ and become his follower the spirit of God once again is welcomed into us indwells us and will stay with us for time and eternity so we not only have God's word without we have the spirit of God dwelling within so we have a spiritual nature now that's enlightened with God's truth once we put our trust in Christ so our reason it's enlightened by God's truth and it's governed by faith and love our conscience it's governed by God's truth and it's trustworthy so my conscience is calibrated now to God's word not the opinions of people worship it's redirected toward God and away from persons places and things 
and then my will my will is set to put on God's righteousness and holiness I recognize I am made in the image of God I am made by Christ and for him but I recognize that I'm not accurately depicting his likeness but I want to I want to learn to live the way God lives. I want to learn to love the way God loves. And so this becomes the pursuit of my will, my thoughts and feelings. Feelings and thoughts, they're united to God's truth. They're increasingly, increasingly, notice a process hinted that, submissive to the restored spiritual nature. So essentially what this is saying is that the way God intends us to function, your reasoning faculties, your conscience, and your worship orientation are meant to govern everything else so that when I have a feeling or a desire that is contrary to God's word and God's will my spiritual nature is supposed to be so strong that it simply says no way no way now that's not what we experience always though because what we experience is that our desires physical emotional desires and habits are stronger than our God-enlightened reasoning and conscience and worship orientation. So something has to change. In other words, when we want to do the will of God, but we still find we can't do the will of God, we're stuck because of habits and so forth, a strengthening of the spiritual nature needs to occur. This is not a one and done. There's no prayer that you can pray. How many have ever prayed, oh God, I want you to make me like Jesus. I want, oh please, I want to be holy. I want to be righteous. Please Lord, let it happen. I want to wake up like Jesus. How many have prayed prayers at least somewhat like that? Can I see your hands? I have. They don't work. <laughs> it, 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 you just as well say, oh God, I want to eat one meal today and never be hungry for the rest of my life doesn't work it's not the way God designed things so there is what I'm trying to get across to you there's natural damage that's occurred in us and it can't be fixed unless we are willing to go through a process that God has ordained it is a developmental process that that requires my cooperation remember how Jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness God wants us to want it he wants us to cooperate with this developmental process he isn't going to zap us I've tried all those zap prayers and you just wake up one morning man I don't know why but I just feel like Jesus today you know it's I wish that would work doesn't work (laughs) so for you and I to get on the other side where we can say no to the flesh consistently we have to strengthen our spiritual nature we have to get stronger we all in here have experienced in various areas of our lives things that we once could not do but we set out to do them and so we started out doing them clumsily or hardly at all but we persisted and we kept trying to improve until finally we started gaining some mastery we started gaining some know-how we started gaining some strength and suddenly the thing that we once could not do at all we started being able to do a little bit maybe imperfectly but a little bit but then we kept at it and we got where we could do it a little bit better and a little bit better and then finally we got to where man I can do this almost just in my sleep it's like automatic we go from not being able to do certain things to being able to do them easily how many of you in here have had a meal in the last 24 hours okay there was a time when you could not feed yourself right there was a time you could not 
but you just kept at it you know you started out you're putting this, the spoon in your ear and on your head and I mean kids when they're trying to learn to eat man that food is everywhere but in their mouth you know but you kept at it and so something you once couldn't do at all let this sink in and were frustrated and felt like I'll never be able to do this if you could have gotten in that little baby's mind of yours probably the thought was there I'll never be able to do this look, look how easy mom and dad do it I'll never be able to do this look, look how they're graceful man they just put that fork right, right in there and I'm, I'm putting it in my ear and everywhere and, but you now do it with ease I'm, I'm sharing something powerful here this is the way God wants us to grow and to develop what we cannot do at all we set out doing because God calls us to and we know his will is good and we do it clumsily and poorly and two steps forward and three steps back but we keep at it we keep at it because God is good and he's gracious and he's forgiving and we get where oh whoa 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 I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing it now and we persist until finally given some time many of us in here have experienced this we can look back and we can say what I now do spontaneously the way I react to things spontaneously that, 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 that old habit that was literally an addiction in my life it, it has no pull on me at all anymore we've gone through some growth and development we have to recognize there's a process a divinely ordained process and part of the reason he wants us to struggle is because it's eventually going to immunize us from ever being tempted again and immunize us from ever sinning again and bringing the, the destruction that sin brings into the universe. So let's get on the other side of this. Can, can we be helped? And the answer, of course, is yes. Let's go to the portion of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Now here's principles, principles to get us unstuck, to get us where we can have control over the flesh, living according to the Spirit of God, the way that God designed us to live and so forth. Romans 8, 5 says, those who live according, that word according in the original, it means under the dominion, those who live according to the flesh, we know what the flesh is now, have their minds set on what the flesh does what? Desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. It's like, oh wait a minute how many have ever heard of neuroplasticity can I see your hands okay this is a new new brain stuff we're learning we're learning now that our brains can be physiologically changed physiologically changed by the power of pure thought for example if you set out to learn a new language and so now you're going to set your mind to learn the new language so each day you're going to spend a block of time the physical structure of your brain in time will change. New neural pathways will be created. Your, your immaterial thought will cause physical change in your brain, and you will become someone that can then speak another language. You could uh, use the same example with an instrument. You start off fumbling around with an instrument, but if you persevere long enough, you become a musician. Maybe not a good musician, but you become a musician. So our brains... Romans 12, 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God knew so in advance about the way he de developed us. When we focus our attention consistently on what God 
desires, the way he built us to live, the way he functions. We restructure our lives. We reorient our lives. We, we, let's say we're listening to music that leads us astray, that tempts us, and we start saying, now I'm going to listen to all godly music that enforces the kind of person I want to be. We start structuring all of our lives so that we're focused, focused. We're, we're fellowshipping with God's people. We're in church whenever we can. We're in the Word of God. We're letting the Word of God have its way in our lives in the way we make decisions. This changes us gradually and we start being able to live the way God lives and love the way God loves. It actually changes the very structure of our brains, which means it's changing us. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. The flesh, living by those desires, those darkened desires, sooner or later, it'll bring death to one thing after another, after another, after another in our lives. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, meaning the Spirit of God, you put to death the misdeeds of the body or the flesh you will live so here it's saying there there's a spiritual power that can develop in us so that when those old habits those old desires rise up we will now finally have strength enough in our god enlightened reasoning strength enough in our god enlightened conscience strength enough in our worship faculties that when that desire pops up we can say no i'm done with you it's over no more no way i know what you produce i know what this brings i'm finished but that does not happen without struggle let, let, let me go on let me share a couple of principles get ready to land a plan here for you romans 6 in the same way it says count yourselves dead to what dead to sin this means i got to be vigilant in this thing dead to sin i'm not going to sin anymore sin's not going to have any, any more rule over me but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That's where we express sin, so that you obey its evil desires. I have to be vigilant in this developmental process. I, I, I've got to watch because if I start succumbing to sin increasingly, it takes me back. It'll put me back in habituation or, or habitual bondage. Let me take you one more place. Romans 13, 14. And this is important because it's about restructuring entirely. But clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning I want to live the way Jesus lives. I want to think the way he thinks. I want to respond the way he responds. I, I so want to be like him. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the key. Make no, what is the word? Provision for, nor even think about gratifying the what? The flesh in regard to its proper desire, improper desires. This is powerful. It's saying if I'm going to get free from this old self, this old darkened flesh self, I've got to restructure my life. I, I, I've got to examine my life. I've got to see what are the triggers that cause me to think a certain way, behave a certain way, do certain things that I know are not God's best for me. I have to make it where there's no no avenue whatsoever no way that i can do those things think those things be that person anymore i've got to carve out all the provision for the flesh so this requires each of us to be very honest with ourselves and very honest with god but it's a powerful process we we've got to here's one of the things we got to stop doing we got to stop making excuses for the things that are just destroying us you ever meet people like that they are the greatest apologists for the very things that are destroying their lives they will argue for the right to destroy their lives they will say you're not perfect you know it's like i'm trying to you're bobbing up and down in the water and you're drowning and i'm trying to pull you out and you want to attack me i'm trying to rescue you but we all tend to do this 
We get, you're, not, you're not better than me. What, what are you telling me? Why, why are you telling me I need to change? You need to change. You're right. Yeah, I do. But so do you. So we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop being defensive. We've got to be brutally honest with ourselves and examine our lives and say, man, where am I laying the foundation for my own demise? No more provision for it. No more. What do we have to cut out of our lives? And all of us have some things we have to cut out of our lives. Where do I have to kind of grab myself by the, by the arm and say, you're not, you're not going there anymore. You're not doing that anymore. You're, you're not watching that anymore. You're not, you're not even going to have those conversations anymore. Where, where do we need to do that? That's what it's saying. Make no provision for the flesh. Now, I want to close out with five kind of um, points that will kind of pull all this together and hopefully make it practical and useful for you here's what we're talking about rising to the challenge of the flesh it calls for first of all breaking the cycle most of us have cycles of sin cycles of the flesh and I'm telling you there's no shortcut until we own it until we label it until we stop making excuses for it and provisions for it the cycle will go on. There has to be that, that rough time of breaking the cycle. Number two, reorienting the focus. Remember it says if our mind is set on the things of the Spirit, that will change the course of my life. It will change my brain. If it's set on the flesh, on gratifying its desires, well, I'm just going to stay stuck and broken. I've got to reorient my focus. Live an overtly Christ-centered, God-centered life. Let's go on maintaining vigilance remember it said you know don't don't let sin reign in your body I, i've got to i've got to be guarded i got to be watchful because these habits are not going to die overnight they're going to continue to to try to pull me back forth enduring struggle this is where it gets tough some things that were part of the old nature the flesh they go easily and quickly some do not some may, may go away within days, weeks, months. Some may take decades. And I'm not giving somebody a license by saying decades. I'm just telling you what is true. You and I may have to be willing to fight for a long time to uproot some of these habits, some of these traits. But what we must do is not stop the battle. God promises if we fight the fight, we will win. Just like the Israelites when they, when they were told to go take the promised land. All they had to do was get out there and fight. They were guaranteed a victory if they got out there and fought. Now, they could have stood there and prayed, Oh, God, take this habit from me. How many of you ever heard those prayers? Oh, God, take this habit from me. You might as well pray, Oh, God, make my belly full all the time without eating. <laughs> it's not happening. It's not the way God works. He has a developmental process. It necessitates struggle. We are to be warriors, and often we have to fight against ourselves in order to be the self that God created us to be. And then finally this, transforming progressively. The fruit of the Spirit, the Christ-like characteristics that we desire, they don't come instantaneously. When you plant a fruit tree, it doesn't just, you know, the next day have a bunch of apples hanging on it. It's not the way it works. Matter of fact, you know too that unless you pluck weeds you can plant all the seeds you want but you're not going to get a crop so we have to be plucking out those things that cause us to trip that cause us to fall back on the old old flesh habits 
while we're nurturing and guarding and weeding and feeding and, and all those things, the, our soul. So the transformation comes progressively. We, we start loving a little more. We start being a little kinder, a little more patient. We start having a little more self-control. These things are meant to encourage us, but it's progressive. It's not instantaneous. Fruit doesn't turn instantaneously to full-blown full mature fruit overnight, nor will it in you and I. But the little progress gives us hope. It gives us assurance that God keeps His Word. We can grow. We can change. We don't have to stay stuck in self-defeating lifestyles. But we've got to really trust Christ. And we've got to be willing to go where He wants us to go, do what He wants us to do, learn what He wants us to learn, venture out, meet new people, try new things, do new things, completely cut all the, the safeguards away and say, I am going to live the rest of my days. I don't know how anybody else is going to live, but I'm living the rest of my days, Lord Jesus, as your follower, and I'm going to build my life on your word for the rest of my days. And you will see that the flesh will not have dominion over you. It, it will eventually fall away, and a new Christ-like, beautiful, beautiful version of yourself will start to progressively not all at once it'll start to be revealed and every life that you touch you'll be a blessing to and then you will in turn be blessed because now you're you're going through life as a giver and not a taker i hope that the spirit of god will will sink this message deep in each of our hearts today mine included because there, there's a beautiful, wonderful life that's held out for us. This, this life of living in union with God's Spirit. And we don't have to be bound by those old ways of thinking, those old ways of doing things. We just don't have to. Let's pray. Father, we, we welcome the deeper impression of your Spirit that would stir us, motivate us, give us courage to enter into this developmental process where we trust you, Lord Jesus, we build our life on your word, we follow you, we go to war with that old flesh component of our lives, and, and we welcome your word, your spirit, and all of its new life into our lives. Help us to be courageous. Help us to make wise decisions in this moment that will have eternal consequences. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.